He's the expert. Wow. Boston turns to for all things baseball. Why was this guy on the roster? It's the Baseball Hour with Tony Maz. Presented by Mass Mutual, official sponsor of the Boston Red Sox. On Boston's home for sports, 98.5 The Sports Hub. All right, welcome into the off-season edition or an off-season edition of the Baseball Hour. This is something we like to do from time to time during the baseball off-season to uh, offer some thoughts and opinions on what the Red Sox have facing them, what they've done so far. Obviously, there was a significant piece of news last week with the hiring of Craig Breslow as chief baseball officer. So I want to start there. Certainly want to get to some comments that he made both about what restrictions he may have as chief executive, his uh, relationship with Alex Cora, and then how the Red Sox can actually build this thing We'll rebuild this thing into a true playoff uh, caliber contender and um, not just a playoff caliber contender, but a championship contender. I think that's what everybody's looking for. So no point deluding ourselves that that would be a uh, a goal. Now, let me just say quickly, uh, with regard to the hiring of Breslow, there were, I think, 10 candidates who took themselves out of contention or turned the Red Sox down with regard to an interview which should tell you plenty about a lot of things. People understand what has happened here over the last 10 years in terms of the revolving door of executives who have overseen the baseball operation. They understand that Alex Cora has now uh, outlasted two general managers, which is very unusual, and that clearly has the ear of ownership, and that the Red Sox are, uh, frankly, in a bad way. And the team, uh, the farm system has improved but it uh, it feels like an increasingly difficult place to win. So Breslow is here almost by default as anything else. And I personally, frankly, I don't care whether he's a nerd or not. What I care is whether he can do the job. So nobody knew about anything about Theo Epstein when he was hired. He had no experience. He ended up being one of the great GMs in baseball history. We knew nothing about Hyam Bloom when he was hired. He clearly wasn't ready for the job. So anybody that thinks they can predict what Craig Breslow is going to be simply has no idea. You don't have a clue and neither do I, and neither does anybody else. So there's no track record with this guy. There's no understanding as to how he wants to do things because he's never been in this spot. So we'll get an idea as things go along. And ultimately what ownership is willing to do uh, and what ownership is willing to sacrifice to get the Red Sox back into the upper tier in major league baseball is really probably more important. Now, whether or not Breslow can execute those things certainly uh, remains to be seen. But I I do think a lot of it comes down to ownership and their commitment to winning. Uh, Something that Sam Kennedy repeated at this press conference to announce Breslow. Uh, Ownership insists that it is committed to winning as, as committed as ever. I don't know how that can be true. Because at the beginning, everybody has a little bit more energy and has something to prove when they take over an organization or take over a job. So things along the way sometimes can fire up a team. Hopefully the Red Sox are fired up on the ownership and upper management levels. And I think that that's going to go a long way toward determining whether they can uh, put some big pieces in place during this offseason. Now, with regard to uh, Breslow, one of the big questions is, how ownership is going to approach him? Are they going to let him spend? What type of latitude is he going to get? I think at the beginning, and I don't know this, this is my gut, but I think at the beginning, 
he is going to have some latitude and he's going to be encouraged to be aggressive. If for no other reason than the Red Sox have no choice, they've lost a significant part of their fan base. TV ratings are down. The team has finished last in three out of four years. If they're not going to try now and they're not alarmed now, they're never going to be alarmed. So uh, I think we are in uh, in line for a uh, an aggressive offseason, and we'll see whether or not Breslow can close any of these deals and make any of these moves. The one thing I would caution people about is that just because the Red Sox try, it doesn't mean that they're going to succeed. Uh, there are a lot of good pitchers available on this market. Some are going to cost big, big money. There are many teams in contention for these players, including big market teams. And so the Red Sox may not be able to outbid some of this, these teams, even if they want to. The Yankees are in. The Mets are in. The Padres could be looking for pitching. And that's just off the top of my head. The Mariners, uh, not that they're necessarily going to be thrown around dollars the same way other teams will be. But there are a lot of clubs out there that are going to want pitching. So Breslow was asked this very question about what type of latitude he will have with regard to spending during the offseason. This was an exchange with Peter Abraham of the Boston Globe. Uh, you can listen to the full exchange right here. Craig, to follow up on that, you've said several times that you're convinced of the organization's uh, desire to win and to pursue all avenues of that. If there were a player at the top of the market as a free agent that you felt like would make a difference here, are you confident that you could put forth you know, the best financial effort to get that kind of player? Uh, I, I don't see financial resources as a, as a limiting factor. Um, I think that's something that was, was clear in the conversations that we had. Now, obviously, we have to kind of line up on a number of, of variables here, interest and fit uh, among two of them. Um, but, you know, like I said, the, you know, kind of the refrain that I will, I will keep hammering through these conversations is there's a, uh, a relentless interest in, in winning from all parties here. Now, Breslow says all the right things there, and I think he believes what he's saying. The question is uh, whether, again, whether or not he'll be able to execute the plan. And when the Red Sox say they are prepared to spend and there are no restrictions, there have to be restrictions somewhere. So it's not as if we uh, all expect them to go out and spend what the New York Mets spent last season, which when you factored in luxury tax and whatnot was in excess of, I think, $350 million. So I don't think the Red Sox are going there, and neither does anybody else. Um, but I will say that I do think that uh, they are prepared to be aggressive. In fact, owner Tom Werner said as much during the uh, same press conference with Bloom. He met with media after Bloom, uh, Breslow, got off the podium and uh and Werner said, quote, unquote, that he expected the Red Sox to go full throttle this offseason. Now, again, I don't know what full throttle means. We'll get a better idea as to how things go. And the Red Sox have some clear and obvious needs, specifically as it pertains to starting pitching. So the starting pitching has to improve. The defense has to improve. They could use a right-handed bat for the middle of the lineup. I think those are the three big things. Some needs could be filled with just one move. For example, Luis Robert of the Chicago White Sox could be available by trade this offseason. He would fill your need for a right-handed bat, 38 home runs last year, as well as to improve your defense up the middle. He's a center fielder, and the Red Sox don't have one. So a move like that would go a long way towards uh, filling out the lineup and the defense 
A second baseman certainly would help. These are all things that are apparent. I don't even think the Red Sox necessarily need a true, quote-unquote, ace. What they do need is a true front-end starter, which could be a number two starter. Uh, we'll get to a little more on that here in a minute. But uh, certainly the the list of uh, needs is pretty clear. Uh, Breslow went over some of these during his press conference. And what I am interested in seeing going forward with the Red Sox is how Breslow and Alex Cora work together. Because I think this was a clear problem under High and Bloom. Philosophically, Cora and Bloom did not see eye to eye. It didn't work. And uh, I think that really hurt the dynamic between upper management and ownership in the clubhouse. When a manager doesn't believe in the ownership above him, then, uh, and in the decision-making above him, that's going to filter into the clubhouse. Cora's job is to help prevent some of that. But, uh, and I, frankly, I don't, I don't think he did a great job of it over the last couple of years, uh, really the last three years. And how he integrates with Breslow is going to be a big key to the uh, success of the team. Now, Breslow was asked about his relationship with Cora, which we're going to play for you here in a moment. But I want you to listen more than anything to the seeming disconnect between Breslow and Cora already. Now, again, it's a press conference, so it's hard to know what uh, people are going to say and what they've been coached to say in the case of Breslow. But Breslow, again, was asked about his relationship with Cora. The two were teammates briefly in 2006. But here is what Craig Breslow said. As it relates to, to Alex, uh, you know, unequivocally, he'll, he'll be the manager in the 2024 season. Uh, and he's someone for whom I have uh, great admiration and appreciation and a longstanding relationship with. Now, as it relates to Cora, he met with members of the media like Werner did in a group afterward, not on the podium. Uh, the podium during the press conference was just Breslow and President Sam Kennedy. But Cora was asked about Breslow and gave a much, much more vague and lukewarm answer than Breslow gave. Uh, Breslow gave. So again, we played Breslow's answer for you. Now here's what Cora said. And I know it was a brief time, but what do you remember about being his teammate? Not much. Yeah, not much. <laughs> not much to be honest. Yeah, it was a blur in 07, especially. So when you listen to those two things, you come away from this asking, are these two talking about the same person? In other words, is Breslow talking about the same Cora and is Cora talking about the same Breslow? Because one guy sounds like he remembers a former teammate uh, whom he played with for just a short period of time and even says he has a great amount of admiration for him, which admittedly can come from the outside. But in the same breath says longstanding relationship. Cora is asked about Breslow and says, yeah, I don't really remember much, frankly. I, I was barely around this guy at all. It wasn't very long. He even got the year wrong. He said 07. They were together in 06. That was it. And when Breslow was here again in 2013, Cora wasn't part of the Red Sox organization then. So I think Cora's answer is the more honest of the two. I can't help but wonder if ownership went to Breslow and said, hey, look, here's what we're going to do. Uh, you know, we want you to make your own decision on Cora. We brought him back. We like Cora. We think he's an extremely capable manager, but you make your own decision. Cora has one year left on his contract. One. 
Now, if Breslow extends Cora right now, how can he possibly do that, making a legitimately informed decision without having worked with a guy and whom the guy doesn't even remember? The other thing is they might be different people now and have different beliefs than they did 17 years ago. So let's not delude ourselves into thinking that somehow these guys have been on the phone together uh, lining up their philosophies over the past 17 years when they bear, when Cora, uh, Cora barely remembers them. So I, I think that uh, Breslow was trying to just fulfill what ownership wanted to portray, which is that there was a relationship there. They certainly played up the part of the fact that Breslow had had a, uh, you know, had a Red Sox career and had played in the city and lived near the city. When in fact, Craig Breslow didn't really have a huge experience here at all. He had an okay experience. Don't get me wrong. When I say okay, I mean in terms of the length of time. So I think that that was all bullcrap, frankly. I don't think there is much of a relationship. I think the better thing to do for the health of the Red Sox baseball operation would be to let Breslow make this decision and let him make it halfway through next season or after the season to go to Cora and say, listen, I want to give it some time. Uh, let's see how it goes, and then we'll make a judgment. Typically, it is frowned upon in professional sports, particularly baseball, as we all know, to let a manager go into a season in the final year of his contract. It's looked upon as putting the manager squarely on the hot seat, kind of hang him, uh, hanging him out to dry, and frankly, leaving him vulnerable to bad play from players who may not like him. In other words, if he doesn't have the support of ownership and management, how do you expect him to get the support of the clubhouse? I would tell you, in this case, Cora clearly has the support of both because they just got rid of the GM. So I would argue now it's really up to Breslow to determine whether or not he wants Cora. The healthier thing to me would, have let, would be to let Breslow make that decision. So just, just keep an eye on whether or not um, Cora gets an extension for Breslow before the start of the season or during the offseason at all. Uh, we'll get a much better understanding there, and certainly the two will have a little bit of time to work when, with one another. Now, we're going to take a quick break here, but just one thing uh, I do want to get to is the Red Sox needs on the field and how realistic it is to think that they could become a contender as quickly as next year. And I actually think there is a good precedent for this and a team out there that had success in 2023 that uh, should be a good role model for what the Red Sox should and can accomplish in 2024. We'll get to that next. Backstagecountry.com, your online home for all things country music. <laughs> Wondering who made our list of the top five all-time queens of country music? Did Carrie Underwood make the cut? Find out now when you text Queens to 45911 and scroll through the list on BackstageCountry.com. Text Queens to 45911 to see the talented artists who rounded out our top five list. All right, welcome back. Uh, just a couple of quick things here before we let you go. The Red Sox needs, again, for this offseason, pretty clear. Starting pitching, right-handed bat, Defense, not necessarily in that order. And I think we all feel like, all things considered, the offense is going to be okay. The Red Sox have a good start on that. Raphael Devers, Tristan Casas in the middle of the lineup. They need a right-handed bat to go in between. But I think when we look at all the areas of weakness from a year ago, we all jumped to starting pitching, and rightfully so. But defense should not be overlooked here, and I'll tell you why. 
The Texas Rangers just won the World Series with a starting rotation that wasn't exactly Hall of Fame caliber. I'm not telling you it sucked. But Nathan Avaldi, whom Red Sox fans are very familiar with, is really more of a number two starter, uh, which is hardly a slight. He was an ace here, but in the years that he was an ace here, or you know, the number one starter, uh, the Red Sox weren't good enough to win a championship. The year that Evaldi was here and they they won, he was more of a swing man at the end of the rotation in the bullpen and a good one. Uh, but the other years when they had him at the front end, uh, or at least at the top end, the very top end as a number one starter, they weren't good enough. Evaldi and Jordan Montgomery were the key starters for the Rangers in winning the World Series. And Montgomery was acquired at the trade deadline. He's a free agent. Evaldi was signed for a two-year, $34 million contract with a vesting option for a third year. The point is, those aren't enormous expenditures, but they're good pitchers who can pitch under pressure and get people out in big spots. So ideally, the Red Sox would go out and sign a Yoshinobu Yamamoto or uh, Shohei Otani, who won't be able to pitch until 2025, or maybe Blake Snell. You get the idea. They can still get good pitchers, who, if they have a good bullpen and a good lineup, can win games. The one variable that Texas absolutely had, and it's probably been underrated, that the Red Sox did not, was defense. And in the World Series, uh, particularly really during the whole postseason, again, Evaldi and Montgomery were terrific in the postseason. I'm not taking anything away from those guys. The Rangers' defense was also off the charts. And so in Game 3 of the World Series in particular, I thought there were a few plays that stuck out. We're going to take a look at them here. First, and again, these are all in game three. It was 1-1 series at the time. Texas won this game, and they went on to win the series in five games. And this game was in the balance. Game four ended up being a blowout. Game five was also close. Uh, but the point is, by then it was 3-1, to one and they had Arizona on the ropes. In game three of the series, scoreless in the early going. We'll take a look at a few uh, key defensive plays here. Again, it's a 3-1 final. First scoreless game here you're going to see a base hit to right field that should give Arizona a one-run lead a Garcia Adolis Garcia in right field overthrows the cutoff man but makes an absolute strike to the plate that gets the run prevents the D-backs from getting the lead and there you go it's now 0-0 we go into uh the middle part of the game bouncer off the to the mound off the uh backside or elbow of Max Scherzer, terrific play by Josh Young here, the third baseman. Again, to kill a rally with a man on second. You see him barehand the ball, comes across the diamond. They get the runner by a fraction of a step. So a potential run-scoring inning gets ended or gets uh, stunted, if nothing else. Then in the eighth, 3-1 at the time, terrific play by Corey Seager on this double play. Flips to Marcus Semyon. He completes the throw to first base. The Rangers get out of the inning, giving up only one run. Instead of something bigger, this was a huge, huge moment in the ball game where defense really won the game for them. So that ball goes through. It's three to two. They have a man on uh, at first base, uh, let alone if the ball's thrown to the plate and the play is screwed up, that maybe he advances to scoring position. You get the idea. During the 2023 season, the Red Sox botched these plays. And the penalty was twofold. First of all, using the double play as an example, they didn't get out of the inning. Secondly, they might have made an error on top of it that contributed to the rally. So asking uh, someone to make a play like Adolis Garcia did and throwing out a guy at the plate is risky. 
because you're overthrowing a cutoff man and allowing another runner to go into scoring position. But the other ones are all demonstrations of good defense that not only prevent the other team from scoring, but again, if you botch the play, can snowball and lead to a uh, a huge inning in which the opposition scores multiple runs. That was something the Red Sox were really vulnerable to in 2023. So long story short, these are the needs for Breslow going into 2024. And he's telling us he can spend money. He's telling us that Cora will be the manager. I would keep an eye on all of these. Keep an eye on the spending. Keep an eye on the relationship with Alex Cora. Keep an eye on what improvements the Red Sox make to help both their offense and their defense at the same time, because those will go a long way towards determining the uh, early returns on Craig Breslow as chief baseball officer. Anyway, off-season version of uh, the Baseball Hour. Thanks for watching and listening. We'll catch you next time.